Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Mike, check. Mike, check. One, two, one, two, one, two, for you. Yeah. <laughs> you saying? Word up. That. Biblical, biblical, theology, theology, study, the person of God, attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics, and Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet, so please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology, that phrase alone, they give some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough, uh-huh. just give me Jesus, that will be enough. That seems plausible and logical. Nobody wants to be all cold and theological. But being a theologian is not optional. Because when you talk about Christ, you're saying something doctrinal. Either it accurately portrays his majesty, or it's a travesty, or worse, blasphemy. You can do a global search. This mark is crucial to the health of a local church. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key. It's following the Bible storyline and the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine. What he starts, he finishes with dedication. A work of art from Genesis to Revelation. From God's creation to man's fall to redemption to consummation. His designs and structure each time will fluster. What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens sturdy and fixed. Romans 11.36 Biblical theology encompasses who God is, what he promises, and accomplishes. So clever we behold his endeavors unfold. The greatest story ever told. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We got to see the importance of biblical theology. Yeah. The Lord has not decided to keep us guessing. Thank you, Lord. He gave us the word providing us correction and the spirit for guidance and direction. Biblical theology is like protection from ourselves and our improper reflections so we can follow the Bible, not just our reflections. Otherwise, we will chop it into sections and not make the connections like the doctrine of election. And Satan is waiting to slice us in the mincemeat if our faith is a mile wide and an inch deep. Theology is like the root of a tree, which determines how rich the fruit's gonna be. And by God's grace, he'll breathe on us with his breath, lead us in his steps, show us his eagerness to bless. And we'll experience true peace within our depth, because we'll know the meaning of Jesus. All right, welcome to another edition of Theology Matters. I'm your host, Devin Palou. And uh, we have a have a great show for you today. We've got uh, basically uh, two segments that we are going to uh, do today. And uh, let's see here. The first one, we're going to uh, look at an article that was recently put out by uh, Charisma uh, on the website. I don't know if it's if it is Charisma Magazine or not, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll let you know for sure right where that is from. And uh, they're kind of attacking the uh, classical apologetic method 
and uh, they're doing some comments on that movie, God's Not Dead. So I wanted to take a look at that. That's that's uh, kind of some common objections you hear among Christians. And then uh, the second part of the show, around 6.30, we're going to bring Marshall Montenegro uh, on the show, and we're going to look at New Thought and kind of how that uh, originated, what it is, and how Christians can respond to that. So... Uh, let me also let me give you our Facebook page really quick before I bring our, our first guest on. Uh, Facebook.com slash Theology Matters with the Blues. Facebook.com slash Theology Matters with the Blues. We have our podcast. We have articles, videos. Uh, be sure to check out that page because we have uh, you know all of our all of our stuff there. So sometimes people have kind of a hard time finding the uh, the podcast links, but uh, we are available on iTunes as well as our Facebook page is probably going to be the easiest place to find it. And uh, also email if you have any uh, suggestions for for guests or ways to improve the show. Um, Or also, if you know of any apologetic events in your area, let us know. You can email us at uh, theologymattersradio at gmail.com, theologymattersradio at gmail.com. And let us know, because we're you know we're always looking for for qualified guests, uh, as well as ways to improve the show, uh, and also uh, local apologetic events in your in your area. Sometimes they can be, uh, you know, sometimes if you're if you're not from North Carolina or not from the South uh, or not from a particular place in California, it can be hard to uh, find other people that are like-minded in that. So let us know. So for the first uh, first segment, I wanted to bring on my good friend Adam Tucker. He's uh, basically a co-host on this show. <laughs> I think I've had him on so much. He's a, he's a great friend. He's got a brilliant mind. And uh, he's working on a master's in uh, apologetics and philosophy at Southern Evangelical Seminary, great school. And uh, also is the Ratio Christie Chapter Director for uh, UNCG Greensboro. So, Adam, are you there? I'm here. You said you were looking for qualified guests, so I don't know why you keep asking me back. (laughs) Oh, humility is his spiritual gift, my friends. Humility is his spiritual gift. Well, Adam, (laughs) you know, I read that article. And as soon as I read it, I thought, you know, this thing really needs to be uh, responded to. We promoted the show, uh, or the movie God's Not Dead on our show, and um, have, have advised people to, to check it out. And this article that came out, it's in Charisma News. It's entitled, uh, God's Not Dead and the Problem with Christian Apologetics by Joseph, I looks like Matera or Matera. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Um, but he came out pretty strong against the use of, as he calls it, contemporary uh, apologetics. So I thought maybe we could we could respond a little bit to that to that article. Sure. I, I will try to be uh, gracious. Honestly, this is one of my soapboxes, I guess. And uh, I think these types <laughs> of attitudes do as much if not more at times, uh, damage to the Christian faith uh, as atheists do, uh, just this terrible thinking with, within the church. 
It's kind of sad. Some of the biggest objections we get to doing apologetics is from other Christians. And it's like, you know, you think... uh, I understand they're wanting to, you know, they're not they're not wanting to make people lose their faith or take away, you know, anything from God. Um, but you know what? Ideas have consequences. Is the bottom line. And if you have a terrible apologetic methodology, there's just consequences to that, you know. So let's. Uh, we don't have a lot of time. We've got about uh, 25 minutes or so. So let, let's jump right into this. The first section. Uh, in the article, and we're just going to take it, I've got it in about five chunks. First part, he says, the problem with, and I'm quoting directly here, the problem with this movie uh, is that it bases the defense of Christianity on the false modern enlightenment uh, assumption that human reason is the final and highest arbiter of truth, thus setting it above God's revelation of himself uh, in the scriptures. How do you respond to that? Uh, well, just to cover myself and and hopefully be somewhat Christ-like if I get uh, a little too hot-headed, uh, I, I do applaud anyone taking this position uh, that, that this gentleman takes, and there are several uh, even prominent uh, Christians that hold similar positions. Uh, I applaud their uh, desire to be pious and, and to keep God at the forefront and the Bible as uh, extremely invaluable uh so that is that is a good thing i applaud that i just think their methodology and their thinking is, is just wrong in the in this instance uh but i've heard you know, similar things like this before and I, and I i could be wrong in this i mean I, I am still learning and have a long way to go but i i think it's somewhat humorous almost that folks will charge uh, classical apologetics or even evidentialists or you know the, the those types of uh, distances of the faith as being modern and, and a result of the Enlightenment when uh, in actuality is completely the opposite, at least as far as classical apologetics is concerned. Uh, Defi- define that strange. too for us. De- de- define, kind of define what we mean by classical apologetics because some are not going to know what that term means. Sure, sure. Uh, well, at least the strain of classical apologetics that Southern Evangelical teaches and that I, I think is the correct method uh, really just goes from the fact that we can know reality in and of itself uh, and reasons from that to the fact that we can know that truth exists and what it is, that God exists, that miracles are possible if God exists, that the Bible is possible, uh, that Jesus claimed to be God and he proved to be God via the resurrection. Therefore, Jesus is God and whatever he says is true. And essentially he says the Bible is the word of God and anything opposed to it must be false. So it really builds a a step-by-step case for the truthfulness of Christianity based in just the simplest fact that we can know a tree exists, for example. Uh, So really just from the fact that we can know reality in and of itself, arguing from that to the truthfulness of Christianity in a step-by-step fashion. Uh, so you're not assuming God's existence and, and that sort of thing uh, to, to get off the ground. Uh, but the, the modern philosophical movement uh, from the Enlightenment, you know, Hume, Kant, and all those guys, uh, essentially breaks that uh, knowledge of reality uh, that we have and, and builds this unbridgeable chasm between our thoughts about reality and reality itself. And so we really only know our thoughts about reality and can't really know reality in and of itself. 
Uh, no, I would argue that that's the modern position, and I would argue that's where, uh, this presuppositionalism, what we're looking at here, that uh, we have to assume God's existence first in order to even be able to argue for, for anything else. I would argue that that assumes the truthfulness of the modern position and goes from there, uh, that we have to have God give us knowledge about reality because we can't know reality ourselves. Uh, so really, it's the the article it just has it completely opposite. I think in in, in this extent uh, that we're assuming the modern position, or that classical apologetics is based in the modern position, uh, the modern position medical to uh, classical apologetics as far as you and I are concerned, and uh, our relation to the way Southern Evangelical Seminary teaches it and. Uh, to mystic metaphysics and all that sort of thing uh, that, that we get into. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I think he also, I think, just real quick, I think he overstepped when he yeah. says that human reason is the final and highest arbiter of truth. Right. No one is saying that in the classical camp. All we're saying is human reason is useful and reliable most of the time, and it can lead us to the fact that God is trustworthy, and then he reveals to us truths we can't reason to. Just because you use reason doesn't make you a rationalist, which I think is what he's saying, that if we can't prove it via human reason, then we have no reason to believe it at all. And that's not at all what the classical position is saying. Yeah, it seems to be kind of setting up a false dichotomy, too, as, as far as either God's revelation or human reason. When it may just be uh, God has given us human reason to understand his revelation. Exactly, exactly. How else are we going to understand what he has revealed to us? Uh, it really yeah, – I, I, I've heard Ken Ham say similar things before. Uh, uh, you know, that he, he, he takes the, the uh, grammatical historical method and he tries not to put his – uh, his presuppositions and understandings on the text, and he reads it at face value, and he just has to let God's word speak for itself, essentially, to paraphrase. But right. How does he know that that's the correct hermeneutical method to use in understanding the scripture? And how does he know when a metaphor is being used? How does he know God doesn't actually have legs and arms and eyes and uh, wings and all that sort of stuff? How, how, he can't know that from the text, because that's what the text says. And as Richard Howe, one of our professors, says, where do you get your principles of understanding the script from? You can't get it from that's, the Bible, because you'd have to be able to understand the Bible before you would be able to understand it. And that, of course, a contradiction. It's, it's nonsensical. Yeah, I was I was at dinner uh, recently, Sunday night. I was, I was doing, I won't say exactly where, but I, the, 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 the remark was made that basically philosophy is useless. All you need is the Bible. What do you need philosophy for? And I brought up the issue of, well, open theism, for example. You know, open theists are going to argue that God can change his mind. Sure. And uh, That's to what my surprise, says. well, to my surprise, the guy that was arguing that was saying, I don't have any problem with God changing his mind. <laughs> I was thinking, well, okay, I guess I'm going to, go, I have to go to a different example then. And I, I went to, you know, God having, having a body and arms. Oh, yeah, but we know that's not true because of, and then he brings in, you know, genre and other, you know, we know, you know, spirit doesn't have such a, oh, okay, so now you're going to bring in, you know, philosophy to save the day because, you know, it, it attracts you, so to speak. So you can't, you know, that's what I was explaining. You, you can't get around doing it. And as R.C. Sproul said, you know, everyone is a, is, a, is a theologian and a philosopher, and 
the question is, are you going to be a good one or are you going to be a bad one? Uh, but you're exactly. going to be one of them. So let's, exactly. let's look at the second, uh, second quote here. He says, the problem with this movie is that it bases the defense of Christianity on the, on the false modern enlightenment assumption that human reason is the, is the final and highest uh, arbiter of truth, uh, setting it above God's revelation of himself in scriptures. Hence, he says, the movie illustrates how the basic assumption of contemporary apologetics is faulty. Uh, because if our faith is upheld and proven by human reason, then unlearned Christian students attempting to use the arguments in this move, movie are also vulnerable to the future and atheistic professor who could easily take advantage of their scientific and philosophical ignorance and poke holes through these arguments. So what do you say to something like that? Uh, well, again, I think it's a straw man. He's setting up a, a false uh, view of what the classical method at least uh, purports to do, and, and it's not that we are uh, proving our faith by reason. We are giving faith. I think they apparently is what biblical faith is. Faith is just trust, and uh, in biblical faith, anyway, is trust in the authority of God. Uh, so faith yeah. is really just trust. Uh, so all we're doing is giving ourselves and others a reason to believe that God is a trustworthy authority. We're not proving via human reason those things that God tells us that we can't reason to, the fact that the Trinity or uh, that Jesus was God incarnate, both God and man, or that he actually died for our sins, those things we can't observe and, and prove. Uh, we, we take those on authority. Uh, so all apologetics is doing is giving people a reason to trust in the authority of God. So it's uh, kind of undergirding our, our faith, if you will. It's not proving uh, that faith at all. Now, one of, the, one of the things I thought was kind of odd is that he says, uh, it illustrates how the basic assumption of contemporary apologetics is faulty because uh, our faith is upheld with uh, proof by human reason. The unlearned Christian students attempting to use the arguments in this movie are also vulnerable in the future to an atheistic professor who who, who basically refutes the arguments. Right. And it's kind of like, well, why not encourage them to just learn the arguments better? Sure. <laughs> right? I mean, that would be one thing instead of just, you know, assuming that they're never going to get it. Or grasp, but it it may you know as it did for me as I was um, in Oregon and I was working to get uh, my GED at the community college and one of the professors there was an atheist and we he's a good friend but you know we had a lot of discussions it drove me into having to study uh, these issues further so he's just assuming that you know once the professor starts poking holes in it that the kids will lose lose their faith well you know if the arguments are true then. <laughs> He's going to be able to poke holes in them, and it hopefully will uh, make the, the students study the issues further. But you know, it's it's uh, it's as you say, these things kind of undergird uh, the Christian faith. It also serves to illustrate again: this is actually the modern position. We can't know reality in and of itself because they just put a, a theological spin on it because we're sinners or whatever, and our reason doesn't function properly according to them. Uh, so we can't know anything about uh, God or supernatural things uh, at all via human reason. So we have to rely on uh, blind faith, God to tell us, feeling, whatever the case may be. Uh, and, and that just is the modern position. 
that that's why we have so many churches now who are are led by emotion rather than the intellect, and the emotions and the will follow the intellect and follow what you know. We have it backwards now, and that's because of the modern position. If you don't mind, there was one comment down in the comment section uh, that just, my word, it, it just demonstrates how dangerous this is. Uh, it says, uh, I have a personal relationship with God, and even if the was proven to be fake, it wouldn't matter to me. I find arguments about evolution and Noah end times be interesting but meaningless. Those arguments never win people over and usually just cause a lot of distress and division among people. Apparently, they haven't read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's not true. And this person has, this person does not have faith. They have superstition. And we yeah. have a lot of Christians who have superstition and not biblical faith. And that's that is exactly well. I think that's exactly what grieves us so bad is because you just see so many people brought up in the Christian faith, hit college, and onslaught of attacks and objections against the Christian faith. They go back home. They tell the pastor. The pastor has no defense, and neither do the parents. So they'll say something like that. And what's frustrating is we can easily demolish those objections. The objections are bad, and the objections have been answered for hundreds of years. But it's just this anti-intellectual, lazy, ugh. (laughs) Interesting your word choice there, since that's exactly what uh, Paul tells us to do in 2 Corinthians 10, to demolish arguments and every high-minded thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Yeah, you know, it's not being super pious and super religious to not think. That is not exactly. spiritual gift. Exactly. That is just, that is laziness. That is not loving the Lord with all your not mind. Not at all. That or loving just, other people. Yeah, right. Or loving your neighbor who's, who's an atheist and has, and has questions. You know, I saw this, the same thing the other day. It was, it was a gentleman uh, in a chat room asking, how do we know that the Bible is true? And he was in a reform chat room and he was asking, uh, you know, do we just have to take this, you know, by faith and start with the assumption that well, the Bible says it's true, therefore the Bible is true. Seems like a circular argument, and it was it was a sad, you know, sixty something comments. Yup, yup, yup. That's it. Oh goodness. And I responded, and I, you know, I, I told him that it's that it's just bad, as it's not not good. And so, <laughs> you know, this this type of thinking is just it's just it dominates today, and it's just. I just find it so problematic. Number number three, he says, uh, however, even more troubling is that even if a Christian wins a debate in apologetics, so even if they demonstrate their position is true through arguments, they really lost in the realm of ultimate truth. Since they place the foundation of the Bible upon modern empirical science, which means their presuppositions are actually the same as atheistic humanists. This is just so confused right here. <laughs> even, if, even if the Christian wins the debate in apologetics, even if they demonstrate the arguments are true, they really lost in the realm of ultimate truth. What does that mean? <laughs> well, to me, again, I would say this once more illustrates that this is the modern philosophical position. You've placed the foundation on human reason, essentially, which is the word empirical science there. I'm not sure why he even references that in that particular uh, statement. But 
placing the foundation of any knowledge on human reason where we can't know anything about reality in and of itself accurately. So we have to rely on God revealing this to us. No, we can know things about reality, and we have reasons to believe the Bible is true and that God is a trustworthy authority. And because we can know reality, our atheist friends can know reality because they too are human beings, and that is what it means to be a human being, a rational animal. We can understand things about reality. So we have common ground. We may not have neutral ground if you if you want to argue about that word, but we do have a common ground regardless of uh, of what our uh, presuppositionist friends would, would have us uh, believe. They can't even argue their position without assuming the common ground uh, that we all do share in common, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I think there's confusion. I think there's confusion too when he he says that the foundation of the Bible uh, upon modern empirical science. I think phil- you know philosophical arguments for God's existence is not the same as scientific arguments exactly. for God's existence because science science is constantly changing. As to where with philosophical arguments, if if you know the the Thomas's third way works. It doesn't matter what the yes. next discoveries are, or if yep, the ontological exactly. or moral argument—if they work, science is just—it has nothing to say about those issues. Right, right. Yeah, a very interesting word choice there. I think he's just—he really just seems to be confused in what he's trying to communicate there, or at least I'm confused about what he's trying to communicate there. Yeah, he says he—he he goes on to say Christians who try to prove their faith by human reason, have have taken into the false modern assumption uh, that ultimate truth can be proven empirically by the five senses. You know, I just, I think, look at some of the Reformed philosophers. I'm thinking, I'm going through Ronald Nash's uh, book right now. He's a well-known Reformed philosopher. And he gave arguments for God's existence. They're a priori. They're not a posteriori. So, you know, I still think you, you don't have to just use empirical, you know, type of arguments or stuff by the census to give arguments for, for God's existence. There's there's apologists who, who don't do that, who are who are rationalists. Yeah, and I think, again, he, he's just setting up another straw man. That no one, in, at least in the classical camp, is saying right. uh, that we're proving ultimate truth by our reason. Ultimate truth would be, at least in the Christian context, is that the Trinitarian God loves us and incarnated himself in Jesus and died for our sins. We know that via special revelation. But we're yeah. reasoning to the fact that we have that we can trust that revelation. We're not reasoning to the, 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 the revelation itself. We're just reasoning about whether or not it's trustworthy. And, and we can't not do that. I think the, the problem here seems to be, and I've heard other well-meaning Christians say this a lot, and I'm sure you have too, that we're putting, uh, you know, our reasoning above God or, or God's logic is not man's logic and all this sort of stuff. You know, logic is just logic uh, because it's just a matter of, of reality, and, and God is the source of all reality is, you know, it's just a matter of, of his nature. Logic is just an expression right. of nature. So it doesn't change, uh, but just because we have to think about our statements about God and our truth claims about God uh, doesn't put that above God himself. 
So as, as Guy, Norman Geisler, our, you know, one of our mentors and, and professors would say, you know, our, our um, God comes first in, in the order of being, ontologically speaking, the order of existence. Uh, but our statements about God and our knowledge of God, uh, the epistemological category, comes first in the order of knowing. Uh, so right. not assuming something here. So we, we do have to use our reason. I would just ask this, this gentleman that wrote this article, give me a good reason to believe anything you say in this article. I mean, he can't not use human reason to talk about these things. It's just yeah, well, how he we, got, how yeah, we're he, made. He, and he goes on to give arguments as to why exactly. he use, you know, apologetic. But, you know, lastly, with this, with this point, he goes on to say, Christians who try to prove their faith by human reason have fallen into the false assumption that ultimate truth can be proven empirically by the five senses. I just don't know any Christians who argue like that. Who are trying to argue they can prove God's existence through science or through empirical. It's just it's a it's a it's not be a, a giant category here because God is not subject to you know, you can't test God. You can't put him in a in a in a test tube. You know, those and I agree. I, as a as a Thomist, you know, I, I think our knowledge starts via the senses. I think all our knowledge begins right. with sense right. experience. But from that, we we reason to uh, these mm-hmm. immaterial things like God and, and that sort of thing. Right. Absolutely. Way of negation too. Not sure. <laughs> sure. Empirical uh, science. So let's uh, let's look at this last point here. Um, there's he gave another one, but we just we have time for this one. He says, "Can you picture Jesus, the Apostle Paul, or the Old Testament prophets trying to bring co- uh, conversions about by making a case for God based on contemporary human reason and science?" You know, one of one of the books that Dr. Geisler uh, has written is "The Apologetics of Jesus." I think that's the name of it. Mm-hmm. And he gives very a ton of very good examples. For example, you see John the Baptist saying, um, you know, when he's locked up in prison and he sends his disciples, uh, you know, ask Jesus if he is the one, you know, coming or should we look for another one? And Jesus responds and he says, tell them what you've seen, the deaf hear, the blind see, the dead are raised. And he gives, he points to his works and the miracles, the evidence to demonstrate who he was. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, uh, professors I heard give a lecture. Uh, duh moments. You know, well, why didn't I see that before? I've read that a hundred times. But uh, in Mark, uh, I forget the chapter now, but uh, where we're, uh, Jesus is teaching in the house and the, the friends bring the paralytic and they lower him through the roof. Uh, you know that that whole uh, account there, and he's right. using that to, to demonstrate what biblical faith is. And, and uh, you know, Jesus says, "Your sin tells the paralytic, your sins are forgiven." And it says the scribes and Pharisees, you know, thought, "Well, no one can forgive sins but God." And, and so Jesus doesn't just say, "Oh, you silly scribes, just believe." You know, you can't reason about this stuff. Just believe. So yeah, he, he heals the guy. He says, "Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven, or to say you can walk?" So that you may know that I have power to forgive sins, I say to you, pick up your mat, go home. So he did a miracle to confirm. He did something they could see to confirm what they couldn't see. He gave them reason yeah. to believe that he was an authority on matters that deal with sin. 
and that's just yeah. that's how we live every aspect of our lives. We don't go to the doctor and just say, "Well, gee, I hope he actually went to medical school." No, we have reason to trust that he's an authority on matters that deal with our health, and God doesn't expect any different from us when it comes to the most important things like eternity. <laughs> well, and the most the most frustrating thing to me is this same line of reasoning these Christians would never accept from a Mormon, from a Muslim, exactly. or from any other religion. You know, exactly. if the Muslim comes and says to them, you should be a Muslim, and you say, well, why? Well, because the Quran says you should convert and worship Allah only. Why should I believe the Quran? Well, the Quran claims to be the word of God. Mm-hmm. We don't take that kind of argumentation seriously. We would demand evidence to demonstrate the, 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 the truthfulness of it. Right. As Christians, we have to do the same thing. We have to be able to provide some rational reasons. It's one thing to say, well, the Bible claims to be the word of God. It's another thing to say that's the only reason for believing that the Bible is the word of God. Exactly. I just, I just, um, I just think it's very problematic. But, uh, Adam, we have to let you go, my man. I've got Marsha on the line. But uh, it's been a great – we need to just do a whole show. And I'm, I'm – I'm trying to set up a debate with some of the top, um, I shouldn't say top, but I'll say most, some of the more well-known presuppositional apologists, and mm-hmm. uh, trying, to do, trying to do a discussion uh, on, on this, do a whole uh, radio show, a whole two-hour debate or dialogue oh, that'd be great. with a classical apologist and kind of one of the more popular presuppositional people and kind of have this, have this dialogue. Um, and you know, hopefully, hopefully, further the dialogue. But uh, yeah, appreciate you awesome. coming on, man. Yeah. Any any final words for us? Uh, well, Marsha is excellent, so I'm glad you have her on and uh, listen well to what she has to say. <laughs> All right, man. Look forward to having you on again the next time. All right. Thanks a lot, David. All right. Well, what we'll do right now is we will go ahead and uh, transition into a uh, two-minute break, and then when we come back, we will start uh, the next topic with uh, Marsha Montenegro, and we will be looking at new thought. So stay with us. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. Apologist. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. It's no secret that philosophy has been given a bad rap by some in Christian circles. Why do you think that's the case? Well, bad philosophy needs a bad rap. Uh, and a lot of Christians, that's all they know. Colossians 2.8 says, beware of philosophy. Actually, there's a definite article of the in Greek. It's talking about a particular bad philosophy. It was kind of incipient Gnosticism that existed there. Christians have nothing to fear from a good philosophy. In fact, we need good philosophy to answer the bad philosophy, as C.S. Lewis said. So I think Christians need to get into philosophy because God commanded it, because uh, the world uh, demands it, and because the results confirm it. Uh, I can tell you any number of people who have been trained in philosophy and apologetics who have had great ministries in winning people to Christ who would not otherwise have been won to Christ. I have a whole file full of people who said, I was an agnostic, I was an atheist, I read your book, uh, I appreciated the reasoning that was in it, and I've come to know Christ, and I want to thank you for uh, writing that book. So the uh, proof of the pudding is in the uh, eating. They, 
it has good results. Uh, good philosophy has good results. You can't know error without studying truth. But you can't answer error without studying philosophy. Because you wouldn't go to a doctor who didn't study sickness. If you went to a doctor who said, what's wrong with that? He said, I got a pain in my apostat near my zorch or wherever you get pains. And he said, uh, what would you like to know about health? He said, look, doctor, I'm, I'm dying. I got a pain. I don't want to know about health. I want to know, can you cure this sickness I've got? So you can know the truth, but if you don't know error, you don't know how to apply the truth to the error and when the people were in error. You're listening to the Ankerberg Minute with apologist and best-selling author Dr. John Ankerberg. Some Christians are uninterested in the secular philosophical ideas taught in our universities because they seem unimportant. But is it right to ignore these ideas? I believe we do so to our detriment. Ideas being debated in our colleges and universities will eventually make their way to our government leaders and spread throughout society. The great Princeton theologian J. Gresham Machen once said, What is today a matter of academic speculation begins tomorrow to move armies and pull down empires. As Christians, we must not stand by and allow unbiblical ideas to gain ground. Jesus insisted that we love God with our minds. It is part of our duty to engage the world of ideas with biblical truth. For additional resources on this topic, log on to johnankerberg.org. All right, welcome back to Theology Matters, and uh, very excited about our our next guest, uh, Marcia Montenegro. She is the founder and director of Christian Answers uh, for the New Age. Uh, Marcia, who was a professional uh, astrologer before converting to Christianity, is a graduate of Southern Evangelical Seminary and is the author of Spellbound, The Paranormal Seduction of Today's Kids. And Jim Marsh is going to be explaining exactly what is New Thought, uh, as well as its uh, pioneers and, uh, and teachings, and also discuss uh, the, the its ties into positive thinking and the secret and, and all that stuff that is so popular today. You know, you flip on Oprah or Dr. Phil and it's, Kind of all over it. So, Marcia, are you there? I sure am. Hi, De- hi, Devin. I'm doing good. It's good to good to hear your voice. Well, it's good to hear yours, and thank you so much for having me on. Wow, definitely. It's a it's a show we've been wanting to do for for a while because you kind of see how how it's popular in the mainstream and getting more and and uh, more. Attention! So we thought, you know, probably need to, I need to tackle this issue. Did I did I leave anything out? Did you leave anything out? Yes. About about what? Of your (laughs) of your intro. Uh Oh, um, you want to add or? um, I don't know if you mentioned. um, Oh yeah, and I don't know if you mentioned I. Got a, uh, a master's in religion from Southern Evangelical Seminary, and okay. I, I just I can't remember what exactly you said. I <laughs> know um, oh, I said something yeah, about so my, Southern Evangelical. Oh, maybe you did. Um, my uh, website is Christian Answers for the New Age, all one word. dot org. Okay. 
Marcia, can you can you take a few minutes and just kind of give us your your testimony of of how you grew up and you know, some of the things you were into and how you came to to know the Lord? Take take a few minutes uh, and kind sure. of explain to people so they know where you're where you're coming from. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, I uh, grew up. Uh, we moved around a lot, living overseas. Uh, my father was in uh, the foreign service, and uh, we went to various churches, uh, not because I was in a Christian family. Um, my father was actually an agnostic, and my mother, um, who had been raised Southern Baptist, was uh, what I would call at best a nominal Christian, but thought that church was good for children. And so my sister and I went to these churches, which I have very vague memories of, Later on, um, when we moved to Washington, D.C., um, I did get involved in a church and went very faithfully, but I was really not, I was really not believing the things I was hearing. Um, I went mainly because I had to, and I thought I needed to be good. Um, I had this vague idea I had to be good to get to heaven. And so I began to question a lot of things uh, about Christianity uh, and the Bible. And I had non-Christian friends in uh, school who were devoted to other religions, uh, like one was a Mormon and one was a Baha'i, and one was just sort of a free thinker. And so I began to think, you know, I really don't have to be a Christian. I can be whatever I want. So that really started um, my journey into exploring other beliefs, and that continued. I mean, at that point, I I made a conscious decision to reject Christianity. I was probably about 16. And so in college, um, I did some exploration. I was interested in the paranormal. I had had some paranormal experiences. I was very interested in astrology. And in college, by doing a project on um, Gandhi, I got very interested in Hinduism and Eastern religions. I was really fascinated by that area. So eventually, after college, this led on a journey of reading a lot of books um, from time to time, going to a psychic, um, an astrologer, uh, just kind of involving myself gradually in these different areas until I decided I really wanted to um, explore more deeply. And so I got involved with some groups. Um, one of them was called Inner Light Consciousness, and basically it was like a feed introduction to the New Age um, and actually, it was during a guided visualization in that group that I was introduced to my spiritual master, which was not a person of flesh and blood, but an actual spirit, who was wow. basically my spirit guide. <laughs> that was my spirit wow. guide, and I thought he was, you know, extremely wise looking, and I was very happy about it. Um, and from that point, I went for a brief time into Tibetan Buddhism. There was a Tibetan Buddhist group in Atlanta. This all took place in Atlanta, by the way. Um, okay. And I uh, 
I learned the Tibetan Buddhist meditation. I learned some of the teachings. Um, this particular school of Tibetan Buddhism was led by a man named Choigam Trungpa, who is now dead. Um, Tibetan Buddhism actually has four schools or four streams, or however you want to put it. The Dalai Lama is the head of one of those schools, and then there's three other schools. And so this guy, Choigam Trungpa, actually came to the United States before the Dalai Lama did and had already established centers around the country and had many followers. And then I, I segued from Tibetan Buddhism <laughs> to Zen Buddhism, and I was doing a lot of reading um, at this time. I mean, just, just tons of it. And my worldview really had shifted. It actually had shifted even before the... Um, uh, spirit guide when I was reading about reincarnation and came to believe in reincarnation. Um, so this was like a journey of progressive steps going from one thing to another and incorporating things that had gone before and then adding in other things. And then finally right. um, taking astrology classes uh, and taking a seven-hour exam and becoming a professional um, licensed astrologer in 1983, uh, Atlanta has a board set up uh, to that formulates its astrologers who formulate and grade the exams of people who want to be licensed as astrologers. I am not sure if this board is still active now, but it was very active when I was in Atlanta and, and was still active when I left um, around 90, in 91, the end of 91. So I became a professional astrologer, and I was, um, you know, getting clients and getting very involved in that area, and I was still practicing my Buddhist meditation and still reading other things and gathering in more. You know, that never ended. That was always an ongoing thing because this is, this is what you call the New Age. So the okay. New Age is like a network of various belief systems, and it's there's a spectrum that runs from the Eastern, the kind of the hardcore Eastern religious views, uh, into the the New Thought end, which is which is what we're going to talk about today. And um, people can be at one end or the other, or they can kind of combine from any area they want. So. You know, you have you can have people in the New Age who actually are into very different things, although they often have core beliefs in common, but they aren't always into the same thing. So that's what makes it so hard to identify it. It's because it has so many aspects to it. And New Thought itself also is more specific than the New Age, but it has different aspects to it too. And the new, new Age took a lot from New Thought. So that's why this topic on New Thought is so important because um, the New Age really is mainstreaming in our culture and a lot of it is New Thought. A lot of New Thought stuff is in our culture. Um, and we're going to, you know, I'm going to mention some <coughs> people that everybody's going to think have heard of who, are, <laughs> who were or are followers of New Thought. And... Um, yeah, it's it's most people don't know about it and don't know how to identify it. So anyway, I've been on into this vein for a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. What? Oh yeah, I'll, I'll 
I was just going to say, you know, I, I, it's, it's funny you'd mention that with, um, you know, it's, it's kind of gaining in popularity. I was listening to, um, I think it was Ron Rhodes. He was on uh, Janet Janet Parshall show or something like that. But, uh, you know, he made, he made a good point. A lot of people, I mean, I know, like, kind of agnosticism, skepticism, atheism is on the rise. Uh, in America, but still the dominant view is people believe that some type of being exists is kind of the mm-hmm. dominant view. And mm-hmm. the fact you said, you know, it, it's it's okay if you say God exists or a higher power exists, but as soon as you say Jesus, then that kind of narrows the field and most people get off that bus. So I, I think you're right. I think that's why these shows have been able to gain such popularity is because uh, and kind of help kind of push this this idea out because they people do generally believe that that some type of being uh, exists. Would, would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely, absolutely, Devin. And um, there's you know a spirituality you know is the word that mm-hmm. people like, and you right. know, most people who use that word are either into the new age or they have some kind of new age ideas mixed in with their views. And that's the other thing about the new age is that it blends really well with other things and it takes, it adapts to other terminology and and draws from, you know, even from Christian terminology and new thought in particular does that purposefully. So when I, when I get to that, I'm going to explain that in more detail. Okay. Yeah. So all of this can be very misleading. Tell us how you, uh, continue yeah. on your your journey. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to. No, no, bring that's that fine. Up. No, that's fine. It's good to yeah. make some points along the way. I think. Um, so I uh, continued in this vein as an astrologer, became president of the Astrological Society, and I was also chairperson of the Astrology Board of Examiners, which formulated and graded this test that people took. Um, and I was very uh, much involved in my spirituality. I never had any desire to leave it, or and I had no, you know, I just didn't even think that it could possibly be wrong. Um, I viewed Christianity as very narrow-minded and judgmental, um, didn't want to have anything to do with it. So I'm going to sum up what happened, but um, what happened was I began to get a compulsion to go to a church, and uh, I really resisted this and didn't know why I was getting it. And um, it continued for several months, and I finally did go to a church. And at the beginning of the service, I um, experienced an overwhelming love from a personal God. Um, I mean, you know, I, how did I know that? I don't know. I just, I just knew it. <laughs> and it was this love from a personal God that I didn't believe in. So that really was a mind blower there (laughs) and um, didn't know what to make of it, you know, Um, but it was extremely compelling. And I went back to the church, which by the way, was a very, very open-minded church. And I continued going there and in a, in a fairly short time started getting an impression that this God didn't like astrology. And that soon became that, I, I just knew he wanted me to give it up, which, I mean, was totally, I mean, that really freaked me out because I couldn't imagine giving up astrology. I mean, I absolutely loved astrology. I mean, I really, truly, you know, after my son probably loved astrology. <laughs> now, you know, we're not counting my son. At the time, I, I um, 
uh, I had a son at this time, and also at this point, my marriage had ended. So aside from my son, um, you know, astrology is what I love the most. I couldn't imagine giving giving this up, but um, I actually did. I actually gave it up. It was very strange. Wow. People didn't understand. My clients called me. I had to say, "Well, I'm not doing it anymore." It was a it was very weird, <laughs> but I just I did. And then I started wow. reading the Bible. And now we're at the very end of 1990, and um, I was reading uh, the Gospel of Matthew a little bit every night. And then on December 21st, while I was reading a portion of Matthew 8, um, God just opened my eyes. I mean, I just I was reading an account of Jesus uh, rebuking the, the storm, and I just kept reading it over because there was something about it that really grabbed me. And my eyes were opened, and I saw who Jesus really was. And I saw that I had been on this path that was totally false and had been taking me away from the true God and the true Jesus because I had a new age Jesus. And, I mean, it was just incredible. And, I mean, I, I turned my life over to Jesus at that moment, and I knew right away I was a new person. And it was all very, very rapid, the way this happened. Um, but I found out later, um, and this is very important, especially for people who have family members or friends who are in the new age, this last part here it should be an encouragement to them. I found out, actually it wasn't for four months, that a young Christian man in an office where I was working part-time, had been praying for me with his fellowship group all during 1990. Now, I didn't know that until four months later, and I found out almost accidentally um, that he and, and his fellowship group had been praying for me all during that year when I got the compulsion to go to a church and got the impression wow. I shouldn't do astrology, et cetera, et cetera. They were faithfully praying for me every other Tuesday night. And um, and furthermore, this office, this is even amazing the way God arranges things. This office I was in, I had taken um, a part-time job there after my marriage ended in order to get additional income. And the job, I was offered the job by one of my clients who wanted me to give him astrological advice on the employees. And so that's why I was hired. That's the only reason I was hired. Um, I was hired under sort of a contract thing, so I wasn't a regular employee. Nobody there except him knew why I was there. Of course, it was secret. And he was paying me, you know, a pretty good salary for it. Um, when I gave astrology up, I was still working there. Um, and he, uh, <laughs> the, my boss was away on, on a leave, and he didn't come back until... January after I had trusted Christ and been born again. And then I went and told him, you know, I couldn't do the astrology thing anymore. And right. um, he kept me on and I did busy work, but it was in this office where this, young, where this young Christian man was. So here I was hired to do this astrological stuff, and then it ends up the person who prayed for me is this Christian man in the office who didn't know why I was there. Now, he did know I was an astrologer. I told everyone 
um, after I'd been hired, not right off, but gradually I let people know I was an astrologer. But they didn't know that had anything to do with my work there. So it's just interesting how the Lord arranges things. And it should be an encouragement for people to pray, you know, for people. Yeah, I I think you're right there. That is, uh, you never know how God is working behind the scenes to bring about His His will. How did you get to exactly? SBS? Real, real real quick, I'm 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 interested in how you you got interested in apologetics and, and SES. Yes. Um. My, uh, later, um, I started getting asked to speak um, to give my testimony, and and um, I went to some conferences, and people were encouraging me or asking me when I was going to go full-time. That's sort of another story, but that ended up with me um, going through a mission board. Um, So I actually operate as a missionary. I had to get support um, from from churches and individuals, um, and so I became a full-time, you know, missionary with my ministry, Christian Answers for the New Age, and I'm still in that situation. I I still um, live on on support, and um, have been doing that full-time since 1998. Now, before I went full-time, though, I got interested in seminary, um, and in order to be supported by my church, they wanted me to have 30 hours of formal Bible training. Um, so I, uh, you know, I was started looking into doing that. Um, I was already interested, but now I, I had to. And I saw some, a pay, a, something in a magazine about Southern Evangelical Seminary and the focus on apologetics. And it's the only seminary that interested me. And at the time, I think it was the only one that had a focus on apologetics. <laughs> I mean, there were none of the other seminaries had. I don't even think they had a, an apologetics course at the time. Um, and so I, I started taking classes um, off campus. I was an off campus student, although I took four on campus classes. And, uh, you know, gradually worked my way to getting, finally getting the master's in 2011. It took me a while, but <laughs> I started off as a single mother working full time and doing wow. my ministry part time. And um, right. and doing seminary, so it was a real challenge, but <laughs> it all worked out. Well, we are blessed that you are on our team, <laughs> that you are on, <laughs> on our side. And Thank we uh, <laughs> will definitely put a link to your ministry uh, on our on our theology matters page, and would support people, uh, you know, to per, uh, or encourage people to you know pray about supporting. Uh, Marsha in this important ministry because it's um, it's a big uh, field that she has to work in and there's not a lot of I don't think there's a lot of apologists that really solely kind of focus on this area so we need more apologists that do that but also um, you know we need to take care of the ones that are already out there and doing such a great job so we'll, we'll put your uh, your website up too so if people are interested they can give to you and would encourage people to pray about that and really consider doing that because, you know, it takes work to uh, to do what she does. I mean, not everybody can, can do what she does. I'm not equipped to be able to go and talk with the people that she talks with. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's people that can, uh, you know, support her to do that. So we can't all have the same gift, but we can support those who, who God has given those gifts to. 
So well, with that you. being very much. yeah, <laughs> with that being said, uh, let's I guess let's let's dive into the topic. Um, okay. The root the roots of new thought is that where where you wanted to start and kind of tell sure, us what it is. Yeah. And, with kind of a, a beginning here huh. for what it is. Um, oh, and hey, Marsha, real, mm-hmm. real quick, um, what time did you want me to, to go ahead and open the line so people can know to, uh, to call in? What time, is, what time would you like me to, to open the lines? We've got about an hour. So okay, I guess, I guess in about maybe 35 minutes. Okay, so around 7.30? Yeah. 7.30, 7.35, okay. So you guys mm-hmm. just keep that in mind. Around 7.30, 7.35, uh, we'll be taking your calls from Marcia. So we'll go ahead and let her kind of lay out the case, what it is first, and then we'll, we'll take calls. So I'll turn it over to you, Marcia. Okay. Um, yes, um, this topic is, um, I think, very important. Uh, the, the basic thing about New Thought is that it claims to be Christian. And so, you know, we need to keep that in mind because that's one of the problems um, is that it uses Christian terminology. <clears throat> but the roots of it go back um, to Emanuel Swedenborg, um, who actually, um, and I'm going to give, I'm going to give dates for him and two other people, mainly because it helps put people in context of history. I find it helps me when someone talks about somebody in the past. I kind of like to know when they lived. Um, so Swedenborg lived from 1688 to 1772. He was a scientist, um, and he was, you know, I don't know if he was, I don't really think he was a Christian, but at the time the culture, you know, was Christian, and he considered himself Christian. But he started, um, he claims, to get messages um, from angels. And these angels were giving him theological messages about Jesus and about God and he was he became totally absorbed in this and so he started teaching a new kind of theology based on these messages from the angels and so some wow. of these ideas that he <laughs> that he that he was teaching um was that uh the invisible spiritual world has more of a reality than the visible one Okay, and there's a correspondence between the visible world and the invisible world. Uh, the Bible is like an esoteric book with words that are just sim- symbolic of higher truths that not everyone could understand. So the Bible was is like this sort of book of, of secret, you know, secret meanings that not everyone can dig out. And heaven and hell are states of mind, and illness was called caused by bad or wrong thinking. Um, So these were some of his major ideas, and these ideas um, influenced other people who came along later, and this eventually formed formed into New Thought. But uh, the next big name, and there were a lot of people, but these are the big named people. (laughs) Um, And I want to just stop briefly and say before I forget, that um, Helen Keller became a follower of Swedenborg's teachings. Um, uh, She was, at least for a while, a Christian or seemed to be, but then she got very influenced by Swedenborg and even wrote that that's what she really believed. So she really was a follower of Swedenborg's ideas. A modern-day follower of Swedenborg is Dr. Oz. 
I'm sure everybody has heard of Dr. Yeah. Oz. And <laughs> Dr. Oz has openly admitted he's a follower of Swedenborg's ideas, and his wife, Dr. Oz's wife, is a member of Swedenborg's church. Um, Swedenborg founded the Church of the New Jerusalem. I think today it's called the New Church, uh, but it still exists. And uh, so it's not like Swedenborg just faded and, and his ideas died with him. Then there's Anton Mesmer. Um, Mesmer was also um, influenced by Swedenborg. Uh, but he, he said there was this universal uh, force or fluid that he called animal magnetism. And you could manipulate this or channel it to heal people. So he was really into healing. And um, he apparently had this ability to cause people to fall into hypnotic trances. Um, I mean, they would just sometimes just fall on the floor. Um, And this was called mesmerism. And, uh, yes, we get the word mesmerized from Anton Mesmer. (laughs) So uh, now if you ever wondered where the word mesmerized came from, now you know. And Anton Mesmer, um, I think, I'm not sure if he's considered the first hypnotist or not. I think he may be. But he was hypnotizing people. Uh, And... Influenced by Mesmer uh, was Phineas Quimby. Uh, Quimby came along. Oh, I was going to give the dates uh, so you can get the context here. So Swedenborg died in 1772. Mesmer, Mesmer lived 1733 to Oops, my screen just changed. I have to look at these dates. I don't have them memorized. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a lot of information. Yeah, I'm cheat. I've got my cheat sheet here. Um, <laughs> Quimby uh, lived from 1802 to 1866. Okay, now Quimby's very important uh, because Quimby influenced Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of the Christian Science Church. And Quimby, um, he uh, taught a lot of the same things as Swedenborg. He said that God is humanity's true nature. And the source of healing is a science called Christ, which he called Christian science. So he is actually the one who came up with that term. And uh, Mary Baker Eddy was influenced by him and, of course, founded the First Church of Christ Scientists. Um, I think there are allegations that she actually plagiarized uh, some of Quimby's um, Writings, uh, which is another topic, but I have I have seen that. So Quimby was very important in terms of Mary Baker Eddy. Now after this after this time period, um, New Thought continued, and it, since it claimed to be Christian and was using the terms God and Jesus, and um, talking about you know how to live the Christian life, etc. This attracted the attention of a Methodist minister named Warren Felt Evans, who believed he had been healed by Quimby. So he developed Quimby's ideas and said illness comes from a wrong idea in your mind, and thinking positively would bring health. I'm sorry, health. And so he fused Christianity with with these New Thought ideas. It wasn't called New Thought yet, but... He was fusing these ideas with Christianity, 
And here's a very important point that Warren Felt Evans came up with. He said Christ is a principle or a divine spark that resides in every person. Okay, this became wow. very important in New Thought. Now he now so he Warren Felt Evans basically left Christianity and for this new religion of of Swedenborg's and Quimby's ideas mixed in with Christianity. So this this is the hallmark of, of early New Thought was syncretism, which means a blend. So it's a blend of Christianity and these ideas that came from these and, people I've just been discussing. And I'm I'm sorry, Marsha, give give the date again, no, kind of okay. when this when it started, because I'm I'm trying to think. I I remember a debate with uh, Walter Martin, and I'm trying to remember it was it was on um, the the John Neville show, I think, and he had a few different a few different Christians, and one of the topics was. Was new thought. I'm trying to remember the, the the person's name. Do you do you remember any any type of debate with that with Walter Martin and yes, and there was a day? man. Um, yeah, there's a was man. It Pike, that, Bishop uh, Pike think, or something like that. I can't. I don't Bishop think I Pike? can remember the name. But oh, okay. Bishop Pike. I don't. Yeah, Bishop Pike was the guy who tried to contact his dead son. Okay, that's what I'm wondering. Um, I know we had a discussion yeah, I think with that's him. Something else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, there was a man that he debated with. So I'm not sure if the man was New Thought or not. I can't remember okay. for sure. There was a man who claimed to be Christian, but really Walter Martin exposed his beliefs. But I don't remember his name. And I, you know, okay, I, yeah, I seem to remember some of the, the kind of the, the guy but he, blending. I think, yeah, Walter Martin did views. address New Thought. Yeah, he did address it. Well, New Thought became, the name New Thought came around in the 1890s. So that's when it kind of formed. That's when it gelled okay. Um, okay. in the 1890s. So that's a good a good time to remember. And that's when all of this started, started to take more of um, an, organized, an organized form. And the teachings were very clear at this time. Man's problem is not sin, but it's rather incorrect thinking. It always goes back to the yeah. way you're thinking. You're not thinking correctly. Um, the Sounds Bible like Joel Osteen there. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. The Bible's interpreted alleg- allegorically, and salvation hasn't doesn't have anything to do with redemption through um, the atonement of Christ. But it's rather about birthing a new thought or new consciousness, so that you can have awareness of your and, and divine nature. Now, this this is still true in the New Age. This is really a focal point of the New Age as well. That you have to change your consciousness. You have to have a new awareness. So that that is a theme that runs through a lot, a lot of things in our culture from a lot of people. So, um, and it, sometimes it's called Christ consciousness. When you're aware of your innate divine nature, then you achieve Christ consciousness. So, uh, those are all those ideas were all pretty much firmly in place um, by 1900. And it's around this time we start seeing the three major New Thought churches the Christian Science Church from Mary Baker Eddy, who I already mentioned. Um, she died in 1910. Um, now, she said that our mind, the mind is the only reality. And she said God is divine mind, and everything is divine mind, everything. So things that we perceive as negative, like pain or illness and death, <coughs> are not really part of reality because divine mind is good. 
that there can't be anything bad with divine mind or in divine mind. And since everything is divine mind, you can't have pain or death or illness. So Christian science, that's why Christian science um, rejects doctors because um, they don't think there's really such a thing as illness. So Christian science healers are praying for the sick person to become aware of divine mind and that is supposedly going to heal them. So that's, she wrote a book, Science and Health. And now Christian Science is probably the last time I'll mention Christian Science because Christian Science, because of Mary Baker Eddy's teachings, um, kind of became its own category. <laughs> and um, it's, it has some common roots with the New Thought and everything, but its teachings um, are so specific to her teachings that it's kind of in its own category. The other two churches are more relevant. Um, unity, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of unity. And people get it mixed up with Unitarian. So let me just briefly state the differences. Um, (laughs) And they also get it mixed up sometimes with the Unification Church of, of, uh, you know, Reverend Moon. So um, the Unitarian Church grew out of, uh, goes way back to a guy, I think, in the 17th or 18th century, who, I think actually the 17th, who denied the Trinity and taught against the Trinity. And so that's why it's called Unitarian. And um, the Unitarian Church has a long history with a lot of different uh, incarnations in various <laughs> ways and places that I won't go into, and I'm not an expert on anyway. But the Unitarian Church came out of that, and it has to do with with that idea. And the present-day Unitarian Church is, is extremely... Um, it's kind of a mixture of intellectualism and a little bit of New Age spirituality brought in. Um, so it's it's on a completely different page from Unity. I just <clears throat> want to make that clear. They're not really related at all. And, of course, Unification Church is a, a cult started by Reverend Moon who claimed that Jesus failed in his mission and Reverend Moon had been chosen to finish um, the mission of Jesus and Reverend Moon was really... The, the Messiah. So unity, okay, now that I've taken uni, unification and unitarian out of the way, unity was started by um, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore. And uh, they uh, it started in 1889. So it's right around the time when New Thought was gelling. Uh, Charles Fillmore is very influenced by Eastern religions. Myrtle Fillmore was, intru- was influenced by Christian science. And they have a very strong focus on Jesus. Um, So they appear to be very Christian. They even say that they're practical Christianity. And you can read some things written by Unity that will sound Christian. You could read, you know, maybe a whole paragraph or two, and you'll think it's just a Christian thing um, because of the language that it uses. And... Uh, Unity teaches, though, it does teach reincarnation, um, and it teaches that everyone is a potential Christ because we can all achieve Christ consciousness. Uh, You have this teaching that that one of the big things of New Thought that's good to keep in mind is the separation between uh, Jesus and Christ. Jesus was a man who achieved Christ consciousness. So Christ consciousness or Christ is presented in New Thought as either it's an understanding 
or it's a principle, um, or it's a new consciousness, it's an awareness. Uh, sometimes it's presented as a spir- kind of a spiritual thing that can come upon somebody with understanding. So okay. Christ becomes depersonalized and becomes the wow. principle. And Jesus was a man who achieved this Christ consciousness and modeled it for us. Now that is the new thought, Jesus. And you well, that's kind of like the, the the Deepak Chopra type of type of views, right? Yes, uh, somewhat similar. Deepak Chopra, um, uh, I think, has other views as well. And his, I did read his book called The Third Jesus. Um, which is a very long book. (laughs) And not only did I read it, Devin, I wrote an article on it. So if you all are wondering what it's about, I have an article on my website on the third Jesus. Um, He said there's there's this historical Jesus, this man Jesus, and then there's the Jesus that people believe in because they think he's a savior, i.e. Christians. And then there's the inner Jesus that everyone has. And everyone has the inner Jesus. That's the third Jesus. And yes, so he does teach you have to come to this realization too. He kind of has his own teachings, but he would, he definitely would, his ideas would definitely be similar to this. Um, we'll throw that article up on the, on the Facebook page as well. If you want to send us that article, okay. we'll put it up. Because I know he's kind of a big name and people... You know, people want to know how to how to engage those who who follow after him. So, yeah, he is a very he's a multi-billionaire. He's probably one of the richest New Agers um, in this country uh-huh. for sure, if not the richest. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, Edgar Casey, who many may have heard of, also taught that Jesus was separate from the Christ. Had a similar idea about the Christ Spirit coming on. People, um, Edgar Casey. I also have an article on. In fact, I have an article on Edgar Casey as well. Uh, so these ideas are out there. They've been they've been taught by a lot of different people. <clears throat> and unity um, is very big. Uh, they published the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary, which is a book that takes the names and places of the Bible and then gives this esoteric meaning to them. I had this book when I. I took a psychic develop. I took a couple of psychic development classes, and in one of them, the teacher kept referring to this book, um, the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary. He was always referring to it and quoting from it. And so finally, I said, "What is this book you're talking about?" And he told me. So I went and bought one, and um, you know, I, I used it. I would look things up. You know, you look up anything: Ooh. Egypt, Mary. Uh, Moses, you know, whatever, and it would give the supposed real inner meaning of what these things were. The other thing that unity does, there's two things that that it does that have confused a lot of Christians. In fact, one is they have a 24-hour prayer line. Their headquarters is Kansas City, Missouri. I've seen their building. I didn't go in it, but I drove by it. Um, It's huge. It covers a whole city block. It's just gigantic. Um, that is their headquarters, and they have a 24-hour prayer line, and they put out um, a book of, um, you know, of I think it's called the Daily Word uh, of devotional. It's a devotional. So, like our daily bread, this is called the Daily Word. I have had 
Christians tell me they were getting that that book. I have looked at it. I mean, book. It's a devotional. I have I have looked at it, and you can read a few things that sound Christian, but eventually you come across stuff that isn't Christian at all. So basically, let me sum up what unity teaches. God is a principle of loving goodness. You have to reject false false ideas and false thinking. Correct thinking will bring health, harmony, and prosperity. Um, we have a true divine nature, and we can reach the higher state of Christ consciousness. So those are those are basic ideas of unity. And there's even um, in a unity brochure, there's a. I actually saw this with my own eyes. There's a statement: "O Christ, Thou Son of God, my own eternal self." So there is no doubt about where they're coming from. And the other church yeah. I want to mention is Church of Religious Science. Um, founded by Ernest and Fenwick Holmes, who were brothers. Um, and uh, Ernest Holmes died in 1960, so not all that long ago. Holmes was very influenced by Ralph Waldo Emerson and Swedenborg and Spiritism and Theosophy, Hypnotism, and Hinduism. <laughs> he had quite a grab bag. Um, you know, I shouldn't laugh because I was too. I was influenced by... Um, Maybe not, not Swedenborg, but um, spiritist, spiritualism. You know, I went to some spiritualist churches, um, had experiences with contact with the so-called dead. Uh, I was very influenced by um, Annie Besant, who had been a theosophist and some of the theosophical ideas and Hinduism. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 I experienced some of this, so I, I can't laugh at it because I was, I was right. doing it too. And Holmes said that Jesus was a man who used the science of mind principles. He also taught a difference between um, the historical Jesus and the Christ, just like what I was just talking about. Man is divine. Sin is ignorance. That's what I used to believe, too. Sin is ignorance. And death is an illusion. And heaven and hell are states of mind. Now, what Holmes emphasized was techniques. He came up with the um, with affirmations, which I'm sure most people have heard of, where you say something positive that you want to happen. So let's say you're really wanting, um, you know, a two-week vacation in Hawaii. You know, you say, I have a two-week vacation in Hawaii. And you say it over and over, you write it over and over, you think it, you believe it, and that is supposed to manifest it into reality. Um, And he emphasized this a lot. Now, the New Age does this, too. The New Age, this is another part of New Thought the New Age took. And affirmations, um, a lot of people think they're harmless or just positive things you say to make yourself feel better, but they're actually supposed to be bring about a change in reality. This is actually an occult principle of sorcery. So this is actually occultic because in the occult, the sorcery is the belief that you, or I should say contemporary sorcery, is the belief that you can alter reality through your will. So this that's what this is. And wow. so people who are doing this are actually practicing a modern form of sorcery. And affirmations are very popular. Um, and, you know, unfortunately... Uh, I mean, some people really believe that if they do this, that they 
things will really change. And sometimes things mm-hmm. change be, you know, out of coincidence, and so they think it works. That's right. part, of, part of the problem. And, of course, the secret taught, teaches this. The secret is very big. Basically, um, the secret is repackaged new thought. Mm-hmm. And they even quote some new thought um, pioneers in the book. And, in fact, uh, Rhonda Burns, the woman who, who wrote the secret, was influenced by a man named Wallace Waddles um, from the early 20th century. And she read him when she was very down about things in her life. And it completely changed her life. And she began the search, she says, for other people who had these beliefs. And she got them all together on a panel. And made. she actually made the DVD before she wrote the book. And then she wrote a book. And this is what Oprah discovered. And when Oprah discovered it and had some of the people from the panel on her TV show, I think it was around 07, 06 or 07, it was so popular, you know, it just exploded. And The Secret, um, at the time I was trying to get a copy of The Secret to write an article and I couldn't get it. It had sold out on Amazon and I had to wait for the publisher to republish it. And it was their biggest reprint in history. I think it was Simon & Schuster. It was their biggest reprint in history. Um, it was, and it's still popular, and I still hear people talking about it. And what was alarming, Devin, at the time, is that I was looking on the Internet, and all I could find, I was looking for some Christian critique of a secret, and all I could find on any Christian site was, were things like, well, there's some things in it I disagree with, but it has some good things, too. <laughs> that was all I could find. I couldn't find <laughs> one single negative critique of it from a biblical viewpoint. I was just totally alarmed by this so i wrote i wrote something that was published in the midwest christian outreach journal it's run by my friend don um uh, vino don and his wife joy vino in chicago and then i wrote two articles on my i also wrote two articles on my website um because this thing became huge and everybody was talking about it and reading it and even christians thought it was christians why because it quotes scripture it quotes scripture a lot, it refers to Jesus, refers to God. Um, wow. And this, of course, is all, this, now we're getting to some people today like Oprah. Oprah, who I've heard her say on her TV show that she's Christian, the reason she says this, she really does believe it because she is a new thought Christian. She was sure. influenced by Eric Butterworth, who was a unity minister, he died in '03. She said she read his book, Discover the Power Within You, and that book made her understand who Jesus really was, that he didn't come to die on the cross for our sins, but that he came so that we could achieve a Christ consciousness. And she oh. actually said this. I transcribed it. I heard her say it on a show. I think it was a program with about Eckhart. It was either about Eckhart Tolle or... Yeah, I think it was about Eckhart Tolle, so, who also has some new thought ideas mixed with New Age and Buddhism. <clears throat> so another person that has um, new thought today is Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer is mm-hmm, very popular. Yeah. Um, see him on PBS all the time. Yeah, all, yeah, he is. He's on there all the time. I also have an article on Wayne Dyer. Um, Wayne Dyer uh, also follows a guru, so he kind of mixes new thought with some other things, but he definitely has a lot of new thought thinking in his, his world view. 
the other, another big one that I think everyone's heard of Chicken Soup for the Soul books. Yes. Uh, you know, Chicken Soup for uh, the Teacher's Soul, Chicken Soup for the Golfer's Soul, Chicken Soup. I'm not making these up there, really. <laughs> chicken Soup for the, you know, Worried Soul. They must have like 150 of them. I don't know. too much. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the two co-editors, uh, Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield are both New Thought followers. Very hardcore New Thought. Jack Canfield probably mixes New Age in, but he's essentially New Thought, and and Mark Victor Hansen, even more so. I investigated both of their their belief systems. Um, therefore, these Chicken Soup for the Soul books um, often contain stories um, by New Thought followers and stories with New Thought messages. Even Chicken Soup for the Christian Soul, which had some um, stories by Christians in it, like Corrie Ten Boom, um, had, had also had stories from New Thought, um, New Thought and New Age authors. Wow. So, and a, but a lot of people kept telling me, at the time I was talking about Chicken Soup for the Soul, they kept telling me they kept seeing this book in the, the Christian bookstore. And um, I said, well, I really personally don't think it should be there <laughs> because it just has too much in it that is new thought. And so um, it was kind of alarming, but even more alarming, or maybe not even more alarming, another alarming thing is Emmett Fox. Emmett Fox, um, who wrote The Sermon on the Mount and several other books, you can find his books on Christian websites of websites of Christian bookstores. And you can uh-huh. find his book in Christian stores. Emmett Fox was a divine science minister. And I have an article on Emmett Fox. It's actually an article on Emmett Fox and um, Agnes Sanford um, called Too Dangerous, T-W-O, Dangerous. And Emmett Fox, um, the way he writes, it's very deceptive. You can read some things he's writing, and it sounds uh, very Christian. But he's, he's also he's clearly not Christian, though. He's um, mm-hmm. he makes statements that that shows he's not. Uh, where he talks about how you you know you don't really need the salvation. You don't need to believe in Christ for salvation and. He also was into spiritualism. A lot of the new, early New Thought people were into con- the idea of contact with the dead. Spiritualism kind of mixed in with New Thought, or New Thought took spiritualism along with it. So some of some of Fox, some of Fox's um, ideas are that um, communication with the dead is okay, and he said Jesus was concerned exclusively with teaching principles that have to do with one's mental state, because if our mental states are right and everything else might be right too. And your destiny depends entirely upon your own mental conduct. And one more, the secret place of the Most High is your consciousness. That's what he said. He said the secret place of the Most High is your own consciousness. So these are... Yeah, see how they, they take the... Uh, biblical ideas, concepts, and words and give a completely different meaning to them, completely. So this is the deception of it. Oh, he also said have faith in your own faith. 
which reminds oh, me a lot of wow. um, Kenneth Copeland. Yeah. Sounds like um, one of the the word of, the word of faith guys. But uh, hey, Marsha, let's do this. Let's take a break really quick. Uh, okay. Give a chance to uh, to kind of get a drink or go to the bathroom and let people uh, uh, start calling in. If you have a question for, okay. for Marsha on this issue, uh, the number to call in is seven six zero five four two three nine zero seven seven six zero five four two three nine zero seven. Would love to have you. Uh, your call. You don't have to agree. Do it agreeably, and uh, we'll go ahead and and uh, take a short break, and we'll be back uh, right after this. You're listening to the Ankerberg Minute with apologist and best-selling author Dr. John Ankerberg. How can we know that God exists? Well, there are many arguments for the existence of God, but one of the most popular is known as the moral argument. The moral argument shares that every law needs a lawgiver personal being who is the source of our innate sense of right and wrong. Since moral laws do exist, such as not lying, stealing, or not to murder, there must be an original source for these morals. The Bible explains that God alone is holy, righteous, and morally perfect, and exactly fits the description of this moral lawgiver. As Paul said, God's righteousness endures forever. God alone is holy and serves as our source of perfection and standard of guidance for life. For additional resources on this topic, log on to johnankerberg.org. Here's a Renewing Your Mind Minute with Dr. R.C. Sproul. The situation at the time of the flood was a situation of pure moral relativism where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It sounds like a description that was written in yesterday's newspaper. And when God destroyed all of that, the descendants of Noah come up with an idea to do exactly the same thing. They're going to build their own city, a city that will endure. And the crowning achievement of that city will be the tower that reaches up to heaven. The Tower of Babel. For today's special offer, visit RenewingYourMind.org.
Welcome back to Theology Matters, and we are talking with Marcia Montenegro, and we are looking at the topic of new thought, new age, all those all those uh, good things. So, invite you guys to call in if you have questions uh, for Marcia. The number is seven six zero five four two three nine zero seven seven six zero five four two three nine Oh seven. I guarantee you, you guys either have friends or family uh, that uh, are caught up into this movement and may not even know it. Some of them, uh, even in the title of under the title of Christian, as we'll, well, I'm sure we'll get to here in a in a few minutes. Marsha, I wanted to play a clip um, from a thing with Oprah Winfrey, and a lot of people may not have have heard this clip before. Um, where she is being challenged, she makes a statement uh, that kind of all roads lead to God, and this you know kind of view of um, mm-hmm. you know there's no Jesus isn't the only the only way, and and uh, would like to get your thoughts on it. Kind of help us. You can I'll play the clip, and then you can kind of navigate us through how do we how do we answer uh, some of these claims? It's me and Melissa went to the. Um, it's actually called the Pagan Festival. I'm not being <laughs> rude, but they, they themselves call it the Pagan Festival, uh, um, where okay. they embrace a lot of the stuff you're, you're talking about here with Gastonia. Uh, this was a claim that we had time after time after time. So I'll go ahead and play this clip and have you kind of walk us through how do, how do we answer some of these type of claims. Okay. A panel has been discussing the spirituality and the forces of God, but I also believe that there are two forces that are here with us, that we do have our, our, our God that we can depend on, but there is also a power of darkness that we do need to be aware of. And, and that's you, where the choice begins. Do you begin. believe that, that you can choose between one or the other? Most most absolute definitely. Yes. Now, now Marianne uh, Williams says in her book, Return to Love, that we're always walking in the direction of one or the other, that all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. Right. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, that which, which is, anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway. Uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live and that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be a human being and and many ways no but many paths to what you call god and her path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her if it brings her to the same point that it brings you it doesn't matter whether she called it god along the way or not and i guess the danger that could be on that i mean it it sounds great on the onset but if you really look at both sides I there could possibly be just one way what what about you what about jesus you say there isn't only one way. There is one way and only one way, and that is through Jesus. There couldn't possibly be with a million people. Because you say there isn't. Because you say you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If you don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. You think you think that if you if you are somewhere on the planet. 
If you're somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, you never hear the name of Jesus, but yet you live with a loving heart, you lived as Jesus would have had you to live, you lived for the same purpose that Jesus came to the planet to teach us all, but you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus, you cannot get to heaven, you think? All right, we'll, we'll uh, cut it off there, but so that's, you know, it sounds persuasive and it's definitely the popular opinion today. Navigate us through that. How would you respond uh, to Oprah uh, <laughs> and others who make those claims? Well, um, yeah, I think there's different approaches. Now, I, I, uh, you know, being on in that situation, there, I don't think there is much you can you can say. But if you're talking to somebody, a coworker or a friend or a relative who's saying what Oprah's saying. <clears throat> um, you know, there's some approaches you can say, like, for example, um, okay, you don't think there's only one way um, to God. Uh, what makes you think that? Okay. Then they have to say what, why they think that. And you can also point out, um, and I think it helps to hear what the other person believes because if you just rush right in and want to say, uh, well, you know, I'm going to show you that, you know, this this is a view um, that I think is right, and here it is. You have to really listen to the other person first. I always emphasize that if there's time, if there's time, if you're having a conversation. Um, if you're standing uh, waiting, you know, at the bus stop, you you have to have another approach. Um, so, uh, you know, I I would say that. I'd say, well, what makes you think that there's more than one way? Why, why should I think that that's true? And also, um, why... You you think it's wrong to think there's only one way to God, but on what basis do you right. think it's wrong? Then, therefore, you are saying there's only one way to think about it, and that's your way. Mm. You know, in other words, wow, your way true. is to think there are many ways, but that's only one way to think about it. And you're saying my way is wrong. So, what basis? What authority do you have for that? What standard? Most people don't have a good answer for that. They might just say, well, you know, they might say, well, because there are a lot of religions with a lot of different views, so that shows that there's different ways. Um, but you can say, well, that doesn't mean that there really are different ways. It's just different things that people believe. Uh, so that's one approach. Nice. Um, another approach is to say, well, if they're talking about Jesus, then you can always bring Jesus up. And so you can say, well, but Jesus said he was the only way. And Jesus made very exclusive claims. Um, you know, he told the Pharisees, you're, you're, if, unless you believe I am, I am he, the Messiah, the Son of God, you will die in your sins, which means you will die unforgiven. Right. Uh, so Jesus made these claims. Since you are mentioning Jesus, then let's talk about what he said. Um, I like to bring that up if someone's bringing up Jesus. Um, I don't usually say, I don't try to quote a Bible verse or say, well, in Matthew, you know, in Matthew 14, <laughs> Jesus, you know, because it sounds like you're showing off. Um, so it's better to say, you know, well, but Jesus said this. And Jesus said he came for sinners. Why did Jesus right. say that? You know, and if, if we can, you know, because she mentioned, well, what about people, what if you live with a good heart and, you know, you, you live a good life and everything, and what could be wrong with that? Then, um, well, why, why did Jesus came for sinners? Does that mean that 
that there's people who live perfect lives. Well, of course not. Um, even New Agers have to admit we don't live perfect lives because they believe in reincarnation. And, they, and, and reincarnation is the path that you go on in order to spiritually progress. So, you know, you obviously haven't progressed unless you think you're in your last life on Earth. (laughs) And (laughs) it takes a lot of moxie to say that. (laughs) I think Sylvia uh, Brown, the medium who died um, earlier this year, I think, uh, or maybe last year, said uh, Uh she only had 17 more lives or something. But (laughs) very, very few people are going to make that kind of claim. Um, you know, so, well, what what is the spiritual progress for? Um, let me share a conversation I had one time with a Wiccan. Um, I actually yeah. had a booth at a, at a fair, at the Arlington County Fair, and I had um, symbols. It was called the truth behind the symbols, and I had different symbols up. One of them was a pentagram, and I just had oh, like wow. one or two sentences underneath what they were. And one of, of course, the symbols was the cross. And I had a brochure. And so this one woman had come by. I saw her come by. And she had on um, pentagram earrings and a pentagram necklace. She didn't say anything the first two times she came by. Then the third time she came back and she said, she was looking at the brochure and she said, I want to see what you say about us. And then she started telling me how she became Wiccan and how, you know, how she got into it when she was only 12. And, um, and she went on and talked about what a difficult path it was. And how, she said, you know, people don't realize that it's really a hard path. It's not something easy and just, it's not just out there being, having fun and everything. It's really a difficult path. And I said, well, okay, it's a difficult, it was, it's a difficult path. I said, is that because you really have to work hard at getting, achieving this understanding and, and, and achieving what you want to achieve as a Wiccan? And she said, well, yes. It's that, yes, that's it. And I said, well, I said, it's such a contrast to what Jesus said because Jesus Jesus essentially did it all for us because we can't do it for ourselves. Jesus, Jesus took that burden on and paid for the penalty of our sins. And so we're on a path as a Christian, but it's not something we have to achieve ourselves. Yeah, I can't remember exactly how I worded it, but it was something along those lines. And it really got her attention. I could tell she had never heard that before. She had grown up with a Jewish mother um, who was appalled at her getting into Wicca, by the way. And her mother took all her books away from her. And then she said she, you know, got them. She got them back and continued on that path despite her mother's um, opposition. But I could tell she had never heard that. And, you know, and in fact, I asked her, I said, I said, have you ever heard that before? And she said, no. I, you know, so you have to listen to people carefully and see what they're saying right. because there's there's something that they're going to say that's going to be a good um, trigger for you to come in. And I like to frame it in terms of, you know, like a dialogue, like, you know, like, well, okay, so you believe that. It's interesting because Jesus said this rather than, well, you know, you're just wrong, you're deceived. Here's the truth, you know. I, you know, that's just that just alienates people, and they won't listen to you. So, um, you know, just uh, of course, yeah, I was praying in my mind too, you know, for the right words because I wasn't sure what I was going to say. I was listening to her and waiting for her to say something that would be a way for me to say something. So I kind of let her conversation be the guide 
and she was so willing to talk about her beliefs and her spiritual path. So, um, you know, I've, I've done that several times, and I and I think it's it's for me it's the most effective way. I've been able to share the gospel that way. I, one time I was on the bus with someone, and I was reading the paper, and actually not the bus, it was the subway, and she said, can I see the style section? Well, the style section, you know, has the funnies in it. And she said, she, and I started to give it to her, and she said, I just want to read my horoscope. And uh, <laughs> I stopped, I stopped, and, and you know, I had, it, I had it almost over to her, and I stopped, and I said, the horoscope, and she said, yes, and I said, okay. I said, I'll let you read it, but I said, I'm only going to tell you that I used to be an astrologer, and I don't think there's any truth in it. You're not going to get anything out of it. Well, then that got her interest. She said, you used to be an astrologer. She said, what, wow. what, what happened? Are you still an astrologer? I said, no, I got to give my whole testimony to her. We were wow. on Metro for a good 30 minutes, so there was a lot of time. <laughs> so, you know, you just, I, mean, I, I, I think these are divine appointments, you know. If you always, you, you have to be in prayer. If you're suddenly in a situation that's unexpected like that, you pray right away for wisdom right. for the right words. Because I think when you try to do it in your own flesh or you try to, figure out some clever comeback or something, it's just not its not usually going to be very effective. Right. What, one of the things that strikes me about this, and, you know, as you said, you know, we went to that, to that pagan festival, and kind of the, the common answer, you know, when we ask, um, you know, what is the way to heaven, you know, all roads lead to God, all paths lead to God, and that is kind of like, um, mm-hmm. I guess, the politically correct view. But, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. when you think about it, it is it's completely irrational, it's illogical, it violates basic, you know, laws of, of thought as far as the law mm-hmm. of non-contradiction. Uh, but, yeah, mm-hmm. we live in a, in a culture that is so anti-intellectual. In fact, uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul says we live in the most anti-intellectual era probably ever. That kind of stuff <laughs> that Oprah says... Uh, you know that all paths lead to God. That is the dominant view, and you're a you're a bigot if you think otherwise. And yet, it is it is, it is not some you know intelligent, well thought out view at all. No, it's not. I think I think it's very hard to show people that. Um, maybe if there's somebody really willing to listen to, you can show them how that violates all kinds of, of, of laws of logic and, and, well, you know, this person believes there really isn't a God and this person believes there's many gods and this person believes one God. How can it, it's not all true. It can't all be true. How can it lead to, what, if it's going to lead to the same thing, what is it going to lead to? Is it going to lead to, is it going to lead to a no God, many gods, one God? All combined, right. you know, it doesn't make any sense. If they if they're all true and they all lead to the same thing, then what's that going to look like? Because they contradict each other. I mean, that's one thing to point out. But I think that um, it. I think showing them that well, your view that you think that's right is a judgment on my view. So you're you're we're all we're all exercising judgment on other views. We're all attached to certain beliefs and. And so nobody, that's an exclusive belief, too. To say there are many paths to God is an exclusive belief, too, because you're saying there isn't just one path to God. So you're excluding that. So, um, you know, sometimes pointing that out helps, um, 
sometimes um, just listening to them and trying to catch something else they say, um, you know, that you can, you can use, uh, you can relate to something about Jesus is helpful. It's really a matter of intense listening. Um, one time I was at the, at, the, at the Kinko's making copies. This was when I was still making a lot of copies for, I don't remember what I was making copies for, I think a talk. And I had something in there about Buddhism. And um, this guy I noticed who was in the machine next to me was looking at my papers because as I was getting them out, I was putting them to the side. And I noticed him kind of glancing over at them. And so um, finally he said, he said, are you, are you into Buddhism or something? And I said, well, no, but I used to be. And he said, oh, I'm, he said, that's what I follow. I'm, I'm Zen Buddhist. And you know, I've been doing it for a number of years, and I, I said, "Why do you like it?" He said, "Oh, I think it's really the best, the best path. It makes the most sense for me." And he went on with a few more reasons. And I said, "Well, I said, kind of funny for you to think that it's the best thing for you, since according to Buddhism, you don't really exist." And he kind of it caught him off guard, and he said. Oh, he said, well, that's a good point, <laughs> right, because the, and B- Buddhism really does, um, doesn't think, they think that your, your self is not permanent. So the self, your uh. identity, who you are is, is, is actually non-existent, but they say in this reality, in this world, it has a temporal existence, although it, it's actually very contradictory because they say it has an existence and it doesn't have an existence. So they call it the conventional self. And they say this is a self that you think you have now that you're filtering things through this self and this mind. Okay, your mind is part of the self. So mm-hmm. it's all not really real. It's all non-permanent. And one day you'll be past all of that. So here he was talking about himself. And I said, well, it's sort of ironic because Buddhism says you don't have a self. <laughs> so, you know, you just sometimes it's something like that. You know, that was... Uh, yeah, it's kind sort of, of a self, unusual situation. A lot, a lot of it's, yeah, a lot of it is just self-defeating as well. A lot of just kind of self-defeating yes, yes. positions. So, yes, they are. Well, Marcia, give us, yes. uh, we got about uh, three or four minutes. Tie oh, that, my tie goodness, that went by fast. Well, we need to have you on again. That's that's all that means. <laughs> we just need to continue the conversation. <laughs> Take three or four minutes and uh, kind of tie up the threads to this conversation. We got some good historical background, and I think uh, that was good. You kind of you also talked to us about how we can practically, you know, share share our faith. So take a few minutes and 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 come to a conclusion for us. Okay, um, I do want to mention something I forgot. I forgot um, about Norman Vincent Peale, and I want to quickly mention him because he had a big influence on the culture and the church because he was a Christian minister, and his book, The Power of Positive Thinking, was a huge bestseller. And I want to just, I just want people to know that positive thinking, according to Peale, it's not about having a positive attitude. Positive thinking is new thought for him. He was a follower of the teachings of Ernest Holmes, the one who was into the affirmations. And Peel believed that by thinking and visualizing certain things that you could make them happen. And he wrote this in his books. So I just wanted people to know that because I forgot to mention him. Um, I, I think that um, some of the points um, to keep in mind are 
that you have to realize that the new thought and the new age will use words that are familiar, but they have a different meaning for them. And we, and as Christians, we need to keep this in mind because, you know, we come across Christian language and the assumption, our natural reaction is to think it's Christian or it's coming from a Christian source. And we can't assume that um, unless we know for sure it's coming from a Christian source. So we have to think about what, what do these terms mean? And if there's anything that seems off, we need to have our guard up and we need to investigate it. Um, and so New Thought is still is very much in this culture. It's influenced the church. Um, I actually thought being positive and having a positive view of yourself and having self-esteem was part of Christianity when I was growing up. I actually thought that was part of Christianity. Believe in yourself. You know, God only helps those who help themselves. All those things I heard a lot growing up, and I thought that was Christianity. So it's influenced the church. Um, The human potential movement is a huge outgrowth of um, new thought along with other things. And so the human potential movement, there's a secular side of it, It's very big. Um, And then there's, uh, unfortunately, a Christian side where you have kind of human potential-type teachings, but they're in Christian garb, um, but it still comes down to, uh, you know, something within you that you do. It's either your faith or, um, you know, trusting in something with yourself. Uh, But I think it's very, very... Subtle. It's very subtle, okay. but I do think there are those teachers in the church. And so I think, you know, the New Testament, so much of the New Testament was written to warn the early Christians about false teachings in the church, and this is going to continue till Jesus comes back. So we right. do have the truth. We have God's word. That's what we go to to measure everything by. We ask for wisdom and discernment, and God will give it to us. Uh, James says, when you ask for wisdom, God will give it to you. So we want God's wisdom to discern these things. So I don't want people to turn off the radio feeling down or scared about all this bad stuff out there. I want Christians to remember that we do have the truth. And God gives us the tools and God gives us the ability to be discerning if we want to be. So that's what I would like to say. Well, Marcia, we appreciate you coming on the show. Marcia has been on the show before, uh, I think at least two other times uh, in the past. So if you just kind of Google that, uh, you can find her other shows, or, or maybe we can just go ahead and throw them up uh, on one link there on our Theology Matters Facebook, and we'll get her ministry page up. Again, folks, please, uh, you know, prayerfully consider uh, supporting Marcia. We need, uh, you know, we need people that are... Um, well equipped to go to the field and and proclaim the gospel and and uh, talk with people. So, again, Marcia, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, well, we will be back again next week. Did you go go ahead? Did you want to say something? No, I just wanted to thank you again, uh, Devin, and say hi to Melissa for me. And um, I uh, really appreciate the opportunity, and I I enjoyed every minute of it. Great, and we'll we'll schedule it and get you back again. So appreciate okay. the time. All right. So Thank tune you. in again next week, everybody. Thanks. God bless. Bye-bye.
and it's Jackson is dead. Yeah. Marilyn Monroe is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Yeah. Yeah. Brando is dead. James Brown is dead. Yeah. Princess Dot and John Lennon is dead. Biggie yeah. Smalls and Pop is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Give praise to King Jesus, the blessed son, victorious, glorious, resurrected one. To him belongs the power, glory and honor. Ascended where he sits at the right hand of the Father. At the cross he made atonement, his people he saved. After three days he was raised and defeated the grave. By faith the elect behold him, his scepter is golden. He must have been hot and slippery cause death couldn't hold him. The spotlight is on today's icons. In a thousand years nobody will care that light's gone. But at that time Christ will still shine bright. He's not in the limelight, he is the limelight. Criminal minded, you've been blinded. Looking for the body of Jesus, you won't find it. We never lack spirit, letting you catch hear it. Cause it's too empty like most secular rap lyrics. Plato is dead, Socrates is dead. Aristotle and Emmanuel Kant are dead. Nietzsche and Darwin are dead. However, Jesus is alive. Yeah. Buddha is dead, Muhammad is dead, yeah. Gandhi and Holly, Salasi are dead, yeah. Elijah Muhammad is dead, however, Jesus is alive, yeah. Throughout history, there's been mad religious leaders, prophets, preachers, scholars, teachers. But when it came to the grave, no one could climb out. That's where Jesus stands alone, like taking a time out. And don't be misled, I got a level head. No resurrection, Christianity would have never spread. The disciples weren't stupid gods who would ruin their lives and then choose to die for what they knew was a lie. That would be beyond ridiculous. Not an issue is the risen Christ seen by 500 eyewitnesses. Imagine 500 people in a court of law, each of them taking a Stand reporting what they saw. If their stories lined up and made sense, the evidence would have to leave you convinced, no doubt. But still, it's by faith that we trust and praise the Son who was raised for our justification. Check it out. Nero is dead. Constantine is dead. Genghis Khan and Attila the Hun are dead. Alexander the Great is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Yeah. Napoleon is dead, Lao Tzu is dead, Che yeah. Guevara and Henry VIII are dead, what? Saddam Hussein is dead, however, Jesus is alive. Yeah. Through faith in Christ we've been saved from hell, because he's risen, it means we'll be raised as well, in glorified bodies fit for the new earth, for now we participate in the new birth, the universal reality of the true church, with resurrection power, watch the spirit do work, united with Christ we reside in his light, abide in his might, keep in stride as we fight the pride in our life, the lies and the spite, we strive to be wise as he guides through the night.